When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Where's Ryan? He's dead. Fell off a cliff, died on impact. <laughs> I'm your other host. There's only two hosts this week. My name's Nick. Hey, everyone. Hi, Adam. Hey, man. Hi, Drew. Drew's here, too. Producer Drew in the building, in the virtual building. <laughs> Ryan is not here, as Nick said, as you noticed, because you didn't hear his voice. He's <laughs> um, he's doing some big stuff in life right now. He, I think he is en route back to his home of Jacksonville right now, but is moving out of state, also going to L.A. to do some other stuff. He's got a busy week or two or three. Who knows? He's going to be like uh, in Borat, too. Where he winds up being the, the reason for the coronavirus. Yes. It's going to be Ryan. Borat 3. He's actually filming Borat 3 right now. We just blew it. <laughs> but it's actually okay because as big of a Star Wars fan as Ryan is and as much as we love him and respect him, he knows that this episode is maybe not exactly his wheelhouse given how much of this episode of The Mandalorian, which we're clearly going to talk about, is Clone Wars and Rebels relevant. The two animated series that he's watched a little bit of but hasn't completed them as we have i'm buzzing i've been buzzing since midnight when i watched it i can't get over it dude i'm gonna say it. this is my favorite episode yeah i think i can't really think of any other reason because everything else that like you know chapter one chapter seven and eight i would say are like the best ones from season one but this just is like oh so you just introduced like 10 more stories cool <laughs> right that's awesome i cannot wait fully just like blew open the can of worms with c4 i've been waiting for this moment to record like literally since friday i've watched the episode four times yeah the most i've i've watched any episode i think i'm gonna watch it again tonight i'm gonna do have you tried the the disney group watch it's pretty underwhelming but i'm gonna do that with one of my buddies back east i haven't yeah you could really only like send emojis to each other (laughs) (laughs) while you're watching it so it's really kind of so there's no other communication at all no nothing they claim to, which is proactive on their end, but it doesn't really work. They claim to, like, if you want to use your phone to use the emojis, but you're watching it on your TV, they claim that it, like, hooks up, but it didn't work for me. All right. Let's get into this episode and talk about The Mandalorian Season 2, Chapter 11, The Heiress. We all know who The Heiress is, but I don't think maybe the whole general public quite gets that title. Yeah. The only other thing that I thought of when that that title popped up was somehow the frog lady. <laughs> I was like, oh, gonna, this is going to be another frog lady episode. We're going to learn a lot more about her. But they actually blew the doors wide open on who the heiress is. So pumped. So let's get into Stolen Plans. What have you done with those plans? The Mandalorian Season 2, Chapter 11, The Heiress, released Friday, November 13th, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, written by Jon Favreau, and starring... Spoilers, Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan, Sasha Banks as Cusca Reeves, 
Titus Welliver as an Imperial captain without a name, Giancarlo Esposito back as Moff Gideon, and Simon Cassinidis as Axe Woves. Smaller cast, but great nonetheless. We have the the Frog Lady coming back, Misty Rosas, but tight-knit little cast, which is awesome. I, I mean, again, this is our basically our favorite episode. Another weird thing about that fact is it's 35 minutes long. But yeah. in that 35 minutes, I feel like it's done more than the first two combined. Yeah, when, when the story dropped, it just took off. There was no more, like, lulls after that. Yeah. Everything had, like, an impact on the story. Like, even... You know, we'll get into it, but even dropping the child back off with the frog people to, for babysitting time. Yeah. There was a lesson to be learned there, you know? 9.2 on IMDb, up from 7.9 the previous week. Well-deserved. Is that the highest one yet, 9.2? Seems pretty high. Like we talked, I mean, we can talk for another hour just about all the stuff we love, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that specifically later. And I do want to get into this synopsis, but man, there for sure hasn't been an episode yet that I have gotten this emotional over. Yeah, I was dripping. There were tears coming down of happiness. <laughs> I definitely feel like I have tons of emotions bottled up from this year. You know, on Arrested Development, when like Job wants to cry, and he's like, the tears just won't come. The tears just won't come. It's like, I'm really emotional this whole year, but I just can't cry. You know, I had to put my dog down like five weeks ago. Yeah. The waterworks have been fairly easy ever since then but happy tears now with star wars it's great i'm sure you had a really similar if not identical experience but it was like christmas morning when your parents have done such a great job all year of convincing you that you're not going to get the thing that you've been wanting the whole time just to make (laughs) the surprise that much better and then it actually happens and you're like oh my god yeah oh my god it's happening and it really was like a, an actual, you know, it's hard to surprise us people who are like into it. Sure, there's been some leaks here and there about like, oh, maybe Katie Sackhoff might be, you know, reprising her role as a Bo-Katan. But nothing up until that moment was like really leading you to think Bo-Katan's going to come save Din right now. Right, right. So it was, it was a good surprise. Yeah, man. And the other thing, which we'll get to shortly. So I watched this in a hotel room with my wife because we went on a little road trip on my iPad because I just, I had to, I realized, holy it's Friday (laughs) and I just had to watch it. And I was sitting there like on my iPad on this little goofy hotel chair, tearing up and (laughs) trying, trying to hide it. She's like, you okay? Or, uh, what's going on? You know? And I was just like, no one died, nothing. I'm just like, so like overwhelmed with emotion. That's a character from a cartoon I watch. (laughs) 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 Exactly. Holy shit. (laughs) <laughs> and also, like, given the fact that there's still no John Williams music in this, because mm-hmm. that's always the thing that gets me, right? Like, the music comes in. Yeah. It makes it that much more legit. Speaking of music, Death Watch had their own little theme again. So Ludwig, two weeks in a row, provided us with a theme for the child and now one for Death Watch, which was the Death Watch theme kind of remind me of kind of like techno-ish, industrial-ish music, similar to uh, the movie Annihilation with Oscar Isaac and Natalie Portman. Definitely just dope to have like that kind of light motif. It's like, okay, child's on screen, we're getting this. The night owls are on screen, we're getting this. Yeah, I'm definitely starting to let go a little bit and really embrace the things that that he's doing with the score that are outside of the box for Star Wars. Mm -hmm. I'm not freaking out about electronic shit. It's one of those things, too, where like if it doesn't stick out, then it's fine. You know, like if you don't notice it, then he's doing a good job. I don't mean like... If you don't notice it, then it's not unimportant. But if you don't notice it as bad, then he's doing a good job. All right. Let's get into the synopsis. We need a synopsis music bumper thing. Yeah. We need the sound like the uh, the faux Western shootout sound that he uses. Like the little whistle thing. 
Here we go. Chapter 11 opens with the mangled razor crest approaching the planet of Trask. This actually is the shot from the trailer, not the one yep. from the end of last episode. I was mistaken. My bad. Mando warns the frog lady. My bad. Again, frog lady. There's no the. She's just called <laughs> frog lady and the child that the ship's guidance system is damaged. So he'll need to do a manual reentry. It's going to be a choppy landing as a ship careens through the atmosphere like a fireball full meteor status. Mando struggles to keep the ship steady, asks Frog Lady for some help, finally engages the landing gear, prepares to land on the platform. Everything's looking good, but just as they're about to land, one of the engines explodes and the ship plunges into the bay off to the side. They just barely miss the landing platform. They're in the water. Holy shit. Nice comedic moment right there. Luckily, the cabin was sealed, so everyone's safe, but the crest is in even worse shape than it was before. Also, luckily, being a port town, there's a crane right there next to the landing pad that pulls the crest out. Everyone hops out. Mando asks a local working on the dock to fix the ship and then heads into town. That was convenient. This port town is populated by mostly Mon Calamari and Quarren, and it looks like a handful of other amphibious-ish species. Some humans there, too, but mostly, I would say mostly Quarren, right? And one frogman. Right. (laughs) Frog lady calls out for her husband. She sees him in the distance and they're finally reunited. Love. They went to like kind of do this hand touch thing and then ended Mm -hmm. up just hugging. I was hoping they were going to do, I'm doing this thing with my hands right now where hands touch just like, like, you know, when you put them together and then one person looks in there and it looks like, (laughs) you know, I was hoping they were going to do some kind of like hand touch thing that would be like a a unique species thing, but they just hugged. Boring. (laughs) Mando, of course, asks right away the frogman for details about other Mandalorians that have been seen nearby because he's supposed to be the one with the information. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are your wife's there? Cool. Where are the Mandalorians? Enough. Yeah, are, you, are you guys done? Yeah, you love each other. Yeah, we get it. In the distance, Mando sees a cloaked figure who disappears as quickly as they appeared. Mysterious. This is the one from the trailer as well. Hmm. Mando, the child, and the frog family head to an inn for some food and meet up with a contact who knows where some more Mandalorians are. Mando asks the Mon Calamari waiter if he knows the whereabouts of other people who wear Beskar and slips him some credits. Assuming it's the, the Mon Calamari flan that Grief Cargo paid him in Chapter 1. Yeah, it must be. Finally some use for that. The waiter connects Mando with a quorn across the room who says he can lead him to other Mandalorians, quote, only a few hours sail away on a sailboat. But of course, it'll cost him. Next, we see Mando and the child aboard a large fishing boat with the Quarren and his crew. In what at first seems like small talk, one of the crew members asks Mando if he's ever seen a Mamacor eat, suggesting that the child might be interested. So he pulls him over, encourages him toward this large live well in the deck of the boat. A live well being the uh, big sort of tank where they keep fish that have been caught or bait, things like that. All this happening as the crew dumps a net full of fish into the water. But of course... It's a trap! <laughs> as Mando and the child reach the edge, the Quarren bats the pram over the water, and a giant creature lunges up out of the tank, swallowing the pram whole, going back down in the water. Mando immediately dives in to save the child, and the Quarren quickly slam down the cage door, trapping Mando and the child in the live well with the sea monster. They're after his Beskar. Which is interesting, and not after, like, they're not after the child. They just want his Beskar. And they, there's a line where they're like, we're rich brothers! You know, they're, <laughs> yeah. we did it. We pulled off the heist. When Mando comes up for air, the corn attack him with their fishing spears. They're trying to kill him. And I, I don't know if they're going to like, if they expect to dig the Beskar out of the belly of this, you know, sea beast after this. But like, yeah. you know what I mean? Not the best plan. Uh, or maybe the, the mama corps was busy chomping on the pram mm. that the child was in. But just when it seems like Mando is beaten, three Mandalorians come to the rescue, descending from the sky like the badasses they are. 
they roll in as Mandalorians do. They kick the shit out of the Quarren, pull Mando out of the water, and rescue the child from the belly of the beast. As Mando begins to thank his newfound friends and begins to tell him the story, all three Mandalorians take off their helmets. Predictably, Mando reacts just as he did with Cobb Vanth, demanding to know where they got the armor. But these three individuals are no small-town sheriffs in second-hand armor from a Jawa swap meet. The apparent leader of the group, a woman with short red hair, sort of a bob, responds with, this armor's been in my family for three generations. Mando insists that they're not real Mandalorians because they show their faces. He's one of them, one of the other Mandalorians says. One of what? Mando responds. The leader introduces herself as, holy shit, I have goosebumps just reading the line. I am Bo-Katan of Clan Kreese. I was born on Mandalore and fought in the Purge. I am the last of my line. And you are a child of the Watch. Bo-Katan of Clan Kreese. Woo! Amazing. Hell yeah. <laughs> she goes on to describe the Watch as a group of religious zealots who broke away from Mandalorian society in an attempt to reestablish the ancient way of the Mandalore. Our boy Mando, a.k.a. Din Djarin, calls bullshit, flies away with the child. He's not having it. Excellent shot of the Mandalorians flying off against the sunset as the ship explodes yeah. here. Good-looking stuff. Beautiful, beautiful shot. Now that we have several uh, actual Mandalorians in the mix, though, it would be helpful to remind listeners that our Mandalorian, Mando, his actual name is Din Djarin, which we ha- I feel like we haven't said enough yeah. so far. So henceforth, we'll refer to him as Din Djarin. We've got a lot. It's just going to get confusing. So Din arrives back at the port with the child and is almost immediately confronted by a group of Quarren who claim that he killed their brother. In like ex- exactly that, like I don't, I don't remember the exact movie. I just know like impressions of it and references in 90s movies. The you killed my brother, you dirty rat. Like what's yeah. the... Who is that? It's from the 60s, probably, a movie. Was it also in Home Alone, or am I thinking of something else? <laughs> that sounds right. It's like James Cagney or something in Home Alone. Home yeah, Alone James Cagney. That's the name that, yeah. We're old, but we're still too young. <laughs> if there's anyone older than us listening to this, we're really sorry. <laughs> anyway, it says that he killed his brother, and just as they're about to attack Din and the child, the trio of Mandalorians come to the rescue once again. Bo-Katan drops in and is like, just gangster as hell. No, he didn't kill your brother. I did. And then they just blast the shit out of all of them. Bo-Katan then offers to buy Din a drink. He can't refuse at this point, of course. That would be a dick move. They saved his ass twice. So back at the inn, Bo-Katan explains in a nice little bit of exposition, Trask is a black market port, and the remnants of the Empire are stockpiling weapons there. So they have this plan to seize the weapons and retake Mandalore with all these weapons to kind of arm their people and put a new leader on the throne of Mandalore. Din is skeptical. He says Mandalore is cursed. It's inhospitable. Anyone who goes there dies. Bo-Katan says, don't believe everything you hear. Kind of talks him out of it a little bit, or at least talks him into the mission enough. She tells Din that the Empire wants to keep Mandalorian sex fighting each other, but they're stronger together, ultimately. He's uninterested because his priority is to deliver the child to the Jedi. Yeah, he's got his loyalties to Mandalore, but he's still on the fence about sort of their ideology versus his. He's just trying to keep his eyes on the prize. So Bo-Katan basically strikes a deal. She says she can lead him to the Jedi if he helps recover some weapons from the freighter. He agrees. They make a plan. Din drops off the child with the frog family, reminding him not to eat anybody's unborn children. Apparently that needs to be told to people. And the four Mandalorians head out on their mission. They descend onto the freighter, easily taking care of the squad of stormtroopers, but are, of course, immediately discovered. 
the Imperials think that they're pirates because apparently they have issues with pirates. I think that the Night Owl little click here has been attacking Imperials. So mm-hmm. they referred to them as those same pirates. So instead of them thinking that they're like New Republic or actually Mandalorians, they're just referring to them as, as pirates. So this is like the beginning of Point Break before they actually identify the gang. It's just like, oh, yeah, they're a bunch of burglars. Yeah. Now they know. They're about to know. So they try to lock down the ship. In an attempt to kind of compartmentalize the Mandalorians and the ship's captain orders the pilot to climb. Get the hell in space right now. But the Mandalorians, they're just like mowing down stormtroopers. It's like a combination of like Commando where he's coming up on that building and like Jurassic Park. Like there's just no locking down the gates. There's no stopping them. It's amazing. (laughs) They're just so efficient. Super badass. They're just coming in room by room, taking the ship, heading towards the cargo bay because that's where the weapons are apparently. But before they can take control of the cargo bay, a bunch of Imperials, including an officer in that area, they close the doors and they assume they've trapped the attackers, the Mandalorians. So they call the bridge to inform the captain they sort of have them on lockdown. But just as this is happening, the Mandalorians open the cargo hatch and send the Imperial dipshits flying out the back. They're screwed. Bo-Katan gets on the mic and calls the bridge like f***ing John McClane. I thought I told all of you I want radio silence until further... Oh, I'm very sorry, Hans. I didn't get that message. Maybe you should have put it on a bulletin board. I figured since I... Wax Tony and Marco and his friend here, I figured you and Carl and Franco might be a little lonely, so I wanted to give... And tells the captain they're fucked. <laughs> they're taking the whole ship. Din, hearing this, says, hold up, this is more than I signed up for. Oh, I thought we were just stealing stuff, now you're taking this whole ship. But Bo-Katan says the Imperials have something she needs if she's to rule Mandalore. It's the Darksaber. Boner. (laughs) (laughs) She tells Din, if he wants help finding the Jedi, he's going to have to help her secure the ship. They have to pull this off. Yeah, the deal's changed, but if you want what I have, you have to help me. This is the way, she says. Passive-aggressive. Snarky. But still real. He can't deny that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cut to the bridge, and we see Moff Gideon. He's on the hollow. He's calling in. And long story short, he says to the captain, you're fucked, and you know what to do. Long live the Empire. Yeah, he really has no problem killing his own crew, Yeah, captains and officers and stuff. Captain blasts the pilots, goes kamikaze, grabs the controls, steers the ship down into a steep dive. They're going down. There's one more stormtrooper squad between the bridge and the Mandalorians, and it's heavy fire. It's gnarly. They've all kind of assembled to protect the bridge, and there's just enough distance between the Mandalorians and the bridge that they can't just apparently just toss a couple detonators out there and knock them out. They can't get out from where they're pinned down quickly enough to fire on all these troopers, apparently. This is kind of one of my gripes. I'm not sure about this. What it comes down to is Din just, he feels like he's got to jump out and kind of, I don't want to say sacrifice himself, but he's got to run out into fire to kind of pull this off. So he he arms two detonators and runs head on. That's kind of his move. Yeah. You think like he really sacrifices himself a lot to just be like, oh, I guess I'm just going to die right now. (laughs) You need me to jump into this dragon's mouth or, you know, like there's there's so many times where he's just like, the only option is me dying. (laughs) So he arms these two detonators and runs head on into blaster fire, taking... All the hits. I mean, they're like lighting him up. I don't know how he's not getting shot in all the places where his armor isn't, but he's not. Yeah. He eventually falls to the ground, but manages to get close enough that he can toss the detonators close to these troopers, takes them out, big explosion, they make it in. So the Mandalorians finally make it to the bridge and attempt to level out the freighter before they crash. They grab the controls, they pull, and meanwhile, Bo-Katan grabs the Imperial captain at knife point, demands to know where the Darksaber is. She asks if Gideon has it, and the captain says, if you're asking, you already know, essentially confirming, and then clenches his teeth and activates a suicide pill 
that is like the sweetest looking suicide pill I've ever seen. Electricity from the inside. It's very reminiscent of like how Vader's helmet looked when he was getting electrocuted by, by Palpatine. Yes. Very cool. So they've got control of the ship, close enough at least. They're trying to pull up and not hit the dock. As this is happening, Bo-Katan asked in if he'll join them as they take the freighter. But knowing he has to complete his quest of reuniting the child with the Jedi, he declines. Then, this is, again, goosebumps, Bo-Katan drops my favorite line so far in the entire series. Take the foundling to the city of Caladan on the forest planet of Corvus. There you will find Ahsoka Tano. Din bails out the door like Patrick Swayze, flies off like Iron Man, and arrives back at the frog's place, picks up the child. They get back to a very poorly repaired Razor Crest. The Mon Calamari mechanic should definitely expect a scathing Yelp review. <laughs> it looks like shit. Ropes and nets and shit everywhere. It's not good. He's probably going out of business, especially with the pandemic. There's no way he's staying open. <laughs> Din and the child head off into space, jump to light speed, and credits roll. End of my favorite episode. So good. So many unexpected nuggets. Yeah, Because even though you have, like, Bo-Katan and Night Owls, and then she says Darksaber, and you're like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, she said Darksaber. And then, like, a couple of minutes later, she says Ahsoka Tano, and you're like, oh, my God, she said Ahsoka Tano. Man. This is crazy. Again, we can make fun of ourselves. The idea that someone <laughs> is referencing a cartoon that we like a lot yeah. is, like, tear-inducing. Man, when she said that line about Ahsoka, I like— yeah, it's nuts. <sighs> All the emotions. She just said her name, and it was just like, well, that's the best thing I ever heard in my life. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> I, I know this is like, this is a companion podcast that we want to be pretty timeless, and we're not, I, we don't want to be speculating all over the place, but I have to ask right now, what do you think? Are we going to see her in the next episode or the following one? Ooh, so where, where I've gotten in my head... This all comes back to what we've seen in the trailer so far, and we've seen, like, so much of the trailer. There's... I want to say scout troopers on those speeders and Grief and Cara Dune and Navarro that we haven't seen yet. So I'm guessing we might get both of those things in this next episode. I'm thinking maybe Din needs to take the Razor Crest to get his ship fixed maybe on Navarro. Or he just got some crazy knowledge that he might be in a cult. So he might be going back to Navarro to to hang out with the armor and ask her what's up. Yes. So I think next episode... We get grief, we get Kara, we get possibly the armorer because he probably you got some splaining to do armorer, you know. <laughs> like there's, yeah, there's definitely some things that Bo-Katan said about Death Watch and super fundamentalist loyalist Mandalorians, old school Mandalorian warriors, where didn't might have not known any better. This is the way. Might just be some really old school cult stuff. So yeah. I think that he might have to uh, possibly go find Emily Swallow, aka the armor, and see what's up. Maybe he gets to take his mask off soon. We could see way more Pedro Pascal's face. But I think that that's this next episode, and maybe we'll get Ahsoka as like the cliffhanger of chapter uh, twelve. But I'm thinking, and people have been saying this for a while, and I agree, that Chapter 13 is directed by Dave Filoni and written by, uh, that has to be where Ahsoka comes into play. Because, I mean, it would only make sense. That's that's his character through and through. Yeah. So I think we're still like two weeks away oh, from man. being on Corvus. But maybe the final scene of Chapter 12 is him landing on Corvus and you see like the shadow of Ahsoka or something like that. In that hood, like at the end of Clone Wars, yeah. Whatever. She could wear whatever she wants. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, man. I'm so pumped. I'm yeah. so it like, and it makes it so much better that we're hearing it in Katie Sackhoff's voice yeah. as Bo-Katan. You know, it's not just like some character that we just met dropping the name. Like it all 
really just came together. Yeah. Like the dude's rug. They're, they're definitely uh, doing a good job of keeping us idiots really stoked and bringing in, you know, people who existed already. And we know the, the gravity of seeing someone like uh, or seeing like Boba Fett's armor on Cobb Vanth or the gravity of, of what Bo-Katan means to Mandalorians. But, but at the same time, I talked to plenty of people who don't watch the animation and they're like, yeah, the show rules. So that's one question I had is like, is this show extra good because of the gravity that like us Star Wars nerds know or is, does it stand on its own? And I think, like, my mom likes it. You know, there's people who, yeah. like, I don't watch Star Wars at all, and this show's awesome. So they're doing a really good job with keeping people who don't know the lore interested and, and tuning in every week, which is great. Because I, I did really wonder that. Because I, th- I think some of the, you know, I think some of the dialogue is, is a little poor here and there. So I'm like, is this bad to some people who don't know why <laughs> this scene in particular is important? But people seem to dig it. So I'm definitely stoked. I'll really be interested, and we've talked a little bit, you know, over text and everything with Ryan. I'll be really interested to see how he ranks this episode as compared to the others, even without his full knowledge of the animated stuff. Mm -hmm. Because I've I've had the same question. Like, am I just feeling the feels because of, you know, it's finally happening, that whole thing? It enhances it, but I think that there's enough... It's just so funny because I think they're doing such a good job with such little dialogue. Like just Bo-Katan saying that she wants the Darksaber. If you've only ever watched The Mandalorian and that's all the knowledge you have of Star Wars, you're like, oh, the Darksaber was in Chapter 8. So now I know what she's after, you know, and now she's from Mandalore. That's cool. They got to team up with Din, whatever it is. So they're, they're doing a good job on both ends for us idiots who have a podcast. And then for people like my mom and other friends who are like, yeah, I've been watching. It's great. I'm like, cool. So do you know why it's great? And they're like, I don't know. People, there's flying people and and, and blasters. It's great. (laughs) I don't know. It's really cool. So good for them. They're doing something right. It's good from all points of view. A certain point of view. Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. As always, limited gripes. Yeah. But I have a couple here. I have one specifically that is just stupid, but I have to. (laughs) And then others that I won't even mention because it's whatever. But the first one I'll do. This is both a gripe and a reference to something that's kind of an Easter egg. I'll talk about the Easter egg later. The re-entry on Trask when the Razor Crest is coming into land and the guidance system is fucked up, so Mando has to do it manually. It does look amazing, and we'll talk about this later, because you see the heat of entry into an atmosphere actually affecting the ship. There's only maybe one other time in all of Star Wars that we've seen this. I want to say it was episode three when they crash landed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Another happy landing, you know, that thing. (laughs) It looks great. It looks like a lunar capsule is about to splash down in the ocean, you know? It looks awesome from that respect but i did take issue with and i'm gonna be like a science nerd here i did take issue with the angle they came in because they go like straight in yeah and if you know anything (laughs) about the way spaceships orbit planets and how they enter and exit there's so little atmosphere to slow you down because when you're in space there's no atmosphere at all so you're going anything orbiting the earth that we've ever put up there is going like seventeen thousand miles an hour so the escape velocity to get away from the gravity of Earth is just a little bit more than that. So there's just like equilibrium. Seven, I want to say it's like 17,500. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's fast as shit. So you can't just come straight in at the Earth in that speed. So you use, or whatever planet, so you use the atmosphere to slow you down. And you do that since it's so thin. Like imagine an apple 
the skin of the apple is, is basically like what the atmosphere of a planet is like. It's not very thick. It's very, very, very little. So to get more of it, to gradually get into it, you have to come at like a really low angle, a really obtuse angle. You kind of skim along it and come around. But they're going straight at it like, <laughs> like shooting a target. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just wrong. Too steep. Hey, speaking of space, did you see that uh, the SpaceX launch had a baby Yoda? Hell yeah. Uh, floating around. It's dope. That's pretty cool. My nephew sent me that. He's <laughs> pumped. Uh, I had one thing. Did you notice, or am I just crazy, that uh, the Imperial captain in the freighter did not have an English accent? And it just seemed weird right away. Yeah, the man in black from Lost? Yeah. The one other, the like younger dude pilot definitely had an English accent. So that made sense. But yeah. Star Wars is sometimes more so in the prequels than than anything else. But like when you notice an actor, it kind of takes you out a little bit. And I noticed that dude right away from Lost. Yeah, but he did a good job. But yeah, uh, an imperial officer that did not have a British accent was rare for sure. Breaking convention, yeah. even for the animated series. Yep. Same thing, right? Yeah. Either way, that dude's awesome, and he has a face that works. Oh, totally. I don't think he's ever been cast as anyone but a villain, probably. Right? Yeah. Like Giancarlo. Yeah. So let's go back to this. Do you think that Din is in a cult? Do you think that this, being a child of the Watch, they're zealots, according to Bo-Katan? Yeah. And, like, I I think I trust her. I don't know why she would be lying or she would be, like, to use a wrestling term, I don't know why she would wind up becoming, like, a heel eventually. You know, I think she's telling the truth, and it makes more sense that if Death Watch and, and Din's flashback were the people who saved him and and he was a foundling of death watch then yeah he's going to be like a, a zealot he's going to be like a someone who wants to go back to that old mandalorian warrior ways so that's cool that's definitely some character development and i just really like i said earlier i think that he might be going back to navarro to ask the, the armor what's up she might be wind up turning heel and being like this is the way din yeah i mean the question is like what's the line between extremist religion and cult mm-hmm. i think it's a fine line or a wide blurry one. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you could call it a cult. It's easier. Anything. <laughs> yeah. It's a shorter word. <laughs> but I, th- I think it is, like you're saying, really interesting. It's going to be potentially the most complex character development mechanism yeah. in the show for a while. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was just so much. They just planted so many seeds and, and really gave us so much to think about that I feel like from here on out, any adventure of the week episode is really going to sting. Yeah. You know, like there's, I'm like, all right, you just dropped in 35 minutes of action what the entire series could be about. Mm-hmm. So let's go for it. Let's get at it, you know? Yeah. Let's do this. And maybe they do. Who knows? But that's that's going to sting when you want to know more and then we get an adventure of the week. But we'll deal with it. We're adults. We're fine. The world's a little better week by week, so we'll be cool. Yeah. Here's a, an important question. Raised by a lot of people, Bo-Katan's age. So she's pretty youngish in this. But if the Clone Wars happened 22 to 19 BBY, and this mm-hmm. is 9 ABY, so if we round, that's 30 years. Yeah. You know, say 20 BBY, 10 ABY, right? Mm-hmm. If we're rounding. She was an adult during that time, 20-ish BBY. Yeah. So add whatever her adult age is to that 30 years, She's looking pretty young, looking yeah. pretty good for whatever that age is in this. The, the actress is about our age. She's 40. So obviously she could play up or down a little bit. But I have one, not a theory, but an idea on how she could potentially not have aged for a while. Would you like to know? <laughs> give us the exciting thing before I give you the really boring, easy answer. 
what if she was in carbonite? Yeah. But that also leads to another question. Do people age in carbonite? Which I don't know the answer to. Yeah. So maybe at some point, you know, the, this theoretical uh, battle between Moff Gideon and Bo-Katan, who is the last known person to hold the Darksaber before Moff Gideon, maybe he threw her in some carbonite. But I don't, like I said, I don't know if that if carbonite affects aging or not. I'm not going to worry about it. Here's the easier, like, uh, it's fine, you know, kind of like casting director answer. Mm-hmm. Assuming we've got 30 years between the Clone Wars and now, assuming she was pretty young when we met her in Clone Wars and going by the convention of Star Wars that pretty much every damn protagonist we meet for the most part is 19 when we meet them, that puts her right at about her actual age, you know, plus up to 10 years. You yeah. know, let's say she's supposed to be 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actor could play a 50-year-old person and that wouldn't be that weird. She could be in her mid-40s depending on, you know, the the margin of error yeah. that we're working with here. So I think it's fine. Well, thankfully, there's actually no answer. Like if you search, there's no age given for Bo-Katan ever. So yeah. I'm not going to worry about it. I don't need a full episode on why she's 50 but looks 40. <laughs> All right, let's move on. More than just Easter eggs and things, this Den of Antiquities is going to be a little guide, a little Cliff's Notes for folks who haven't seen the animated stuff. Nick, uh, give us a little overview on Bo-Katan, because she gave us quite a bit in her little monologue, but... I think we need more to really get it. Yeah, I'm going to give you the quick and dirty because I don't want to spoil too much and, and take away any joy you might have if you wind up watching any uh, Clone Wars or Rebels. Which you should. <laughs> you definitely should, especially now. So, like she said, she's of Clan Crees. Her sister was the uh, last pacifist Duchess of Mandalore. Her name was Satine. So, because Mandalore, under the rule of Satine, was a pacifist society, there was Death Watch. Death Watch was kind of just a group of fundamentalists who wanted to bring Mandalore back to their old ways of being warriors and uh, really were at odds with Satine's rule. Bo-Katan was actually in Death Watch up until the point of Maul killing the leader of Death Watch, which was Pre Vizsla, voiced by John Favreau. If you've been listening and paying attention to our podcast, you know that. So Pre Vizsla was murdered by Maul. Maul took the Darksaber, and whoever has the Darksaber is the rightful leader of the Mandalorian people. So Bo-Katan at that point defected from Death Watch and formed her own little clique called the Night Owls. And you'll notice that her helmet kind of looks like an owl. So they're kind of, essentially, they're, they're centrists. Yeah-ish. Yeah. You know, if Satine, if she's the far left and Death Watch is far right, Bo-Katan kind of ended up in the middle. Yeah, and I th- she just couldn't really stand to see an outsider on the throne right. ruling her people. So I think she, she wound up, man, I keep I don't watch wrestling, but I'm going to use another another wrestling term. She turned face there and became a, a, a fun character for all of us. Fast forward uh, all the way to Rebels. The Darksaber ends up in the possession of the Night Sisters on Dothamir, which is where uh, Maul is from. And on Dothamir, rebel Sabine Wren, who is a Mandalorian, uncovers the Darksaber. So Sabine, through help from Kanan, Jarrus, learns how to wield a saber and ultimately winds up giving it to Bo-Katan. So in Rebels, the last person you see with the Darksaber is Bo-Katan. And Sabine is like insisting that she's should be the rightful ruler. So at some point between the end of Rebels and the Mandalorian starting, Moff Gideon does something to obtain the Darksaber from Bo-Katan. So we don't know that story yet. I think that Gideon refers to that kind of like imperial 
takeover of Mandalore as the Knight of a Thousand Tears. So maybe we're getting that story at some point, maybe not. But yeah, that's where we kind of leave off between Bo-Katan having the Darksaber in Rebels and then something happened where she stops aging <laughs> and Moff Gideon gets the Darksaber. Which is why it was such a big deal when he showed up with it because it was like, oh shit, you know, we expected things to really be changed, but it's back in the hands of the bad guys. Yep. This this show, it, like, it's just so, it's so much more. On its face, it's the gunslinger in the West, but dude, this show could potentially just tie together literally everything and it's so exciting and it's just great and like uh put my businessman pants on right now it's it's good synergy like yeah if someone is like fully into the mandalorian and like yeah watching two other full animated series is a daunting task but people got time we're about to enter quarantine part one million right now start <laughs> watching <laughs> start watching the clone wars because then Ahsoka's coming up apparently in a couple episodes, so yeah. it's a whole other character we're going to have to explain if you don't know who that is already. We'll go ahead and put in the show notes this Nerdist article that we have. It's the 15 kind of must-watch episodes and arcs from the Clone Wars. That's the big one. Uh, Rebels, it's shorter. It's easier to get through. But Clone Wars, you really need to kind of like pick and choose if you don't want to watch whatever it is, 120 episodes or whatever. Yeah, there's a lot for sure. So they break down the stories into like three or four episode arcs on the Clone Wars. So there's obviously some more important arcs than others. So we'll put that in the show notes. What else here in the den? Confirmed by director Bryce Dallas Howard. That re-entry shot at the top of the show was inspired by her dad's motion picture film, Apollo 13. A couple of people were like, oh, Bryce Dallas Howard, she's kind of just doing that similar shot that uh, Apollo 13 had. But then she confirmed it on Twitter. She's like, good eye, everyone. <laughs> That's dope. Yeah. Despite my gripes with it on a pure, like, hard science level, I I did think that watching it. Like, oh, look at you. <laughs> you and your dad. That's cute as yeah. shit. I love that. <laughs> that crane was seemed like a repurposed at-at, right? On the dock right there with the, the pulled out the... Yep. Must have been just yeah. the leg portion of it. It made similar sounds. So I assume that's just a repurposed AT-AT or at-at. Or a variant. You know, yeah. you know, like anything else, like uh, military vehicles are built on civilian platforms yep. and stuff like that. And your Jeeps and crap like that. Yeah. So for a second week in a row, we get an alien reference as a face hugger kind of yeah. octopus creature jumps out of Baby Yoda's bowl of chowder <laughs> and covers his face. Baby Yoda really, really gets into some precarious situations lately. And he loves to eat things with tentacles. Yeah. I love how Mando's like, don't play with your food. Yeah. Does he <laughs> stab it with his knife real quick? Yeah, it looks like Din takes a knife and kind of like pokes it and it falls back into the bowl. Speaking of the child, I don't know, it's kind of really quick and I haven't seen a lot of people be like, oh, look what he did. But right as the pram is in the Mama Corps' mouth, you see him mm -hmm. do that same thing he did in chapter nine where he just like dips <laughs> over the front, presses a button and closes the pram. So yeah. he knew he was in danger and he was just like, boop. Lock it up. Yeah. <laughs> Another weird instance, maybe this could have went into the uh, certain point of view, but like we know that he can use the force when he's in danger or someone he loves is in danger. So there's been quite a few times where those scenarios have come up in these three episodes and he has not used the force yet. Yeah. I like it for storytelling purposes. I don't want him to just always use the force to get out of a bind. But yeah, in every episode so far, there's been at least one thing where he could have used the force to get out of a, a bind. It seems like it takes a lot out of him and it's something like is oh, like totally. a last ditch effort thing. So yeah, being uh, locked up in the pram, I bet he was I mean, if it came down to it, maybe he would have. But he got saved. This next one I thought was very, very dope. After the Night Owls descend uh, onto that ship and they got rid of all the Quarren and Din is still like in the water, like holding on to the, the bars of the cage. 
the cage opens up and it's an exact shot where if he didn't have deja vu, it's the same exact shot of Death Watch rescuing him out of that bunker, you know, when he was a kid. It's the same exact shot of a night owl putting their, their hand out and rescuing him. So if he did not have deja vu then, he's got a bad memory because it was, it was, you know, shot for shot, the same, same thing. I mean, that had to be, in addition to them just like saving him, period, like, yeah, I owe you my time now to hear you out, like, that was probably meant to be a moment where he realized, okay, these are these are also my people, despite what I was taught being different from what they're telling me. There was another part there, too, where he's like, he kind of just was like, they have the child, you have to save it. It kind of almost sounded like, in that instance, I feel like he would have been like, they have my child. Yeah. But he said they have the child as if, like, almost like they should have known who the child was. I don't know. It was, it was kind of an odd choice of words there, I feel like. It could also be that thing that's so common in screenwriting, and especially... I'm thinking like 80s action movies where it's like, it doesn't matter if someone knows a character's name or not. Arnold Schwarzenegger would always be like, save the girl. Yeah. <laughs> Get your hands off the girl. Like, yeah. The girl is just like a, like a generic pronoun. You know what I mean? It would have been cute if he was like, save my kid. Save my baby. <laughs> Speaking of words, Dank Farrick. This is becoming a new Star Wars swear word. I'm using it in everyday life, repurposing it as like a, a goddamn it, I want to say. Son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. Based off of clues, the way they say it, I feel like Dank Farrick is, yeah, either like son of a bitch or goddamn it, I want to say. We got to throw that on a t-shirt. Merchandise. Merch. One other little thing was just hearing that Imperial alarm that like we heard on the Death Star. I thought that was pretty cool. We heard that in, in the freighter. There was a bunch of stuff like that. And I, I really think this is Bryce Dallas Howard just being a younger person, you know, around our age that grew up with the original trilogy. There's a bunch of, I, I swear it has to be directly pulled from the original trilogy. Little bits of Foley, like the landing sequence beep, the stormtrooper boots in the Imperial ship hallway, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like a, a very clanky kind of sounding heel. It sounds just like when they walk in the prison block, right? There's a handful of stuff like that. Um, doors shutting. It seems like they pulled from the original samples purposely, yeah. I would guess, based on who she is. She did a great job. I feel like her directorial debut in Star Wars was okay. And this was like many, many notches up. She, she definitely crushed it this time. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to this stuff. I love you. I know. Favorite scenes, favorite quotes. A few honorable mentions before we get into what we actually polled the patrons for. I would go as far as to say that the visual effects in this one were top two, top three. Like, there's not a single moment in this whole thing that didn't look absolutely feature film quality to me. Agreed. Especially the stuff, you know, sort of at the port with the Razorcrest landing. Anything with, you know, either of the ships, all of it. Like, it just all looked incredible. I was blown away. And there was actually even that at the very end, that little, like, throwaway moment of the uh, that little sort of octopus crawling down the string inside the crest that Mando grabs and kills and then gives to the kid. That thing was fully CG. It was a total, like, throwaway moment but it looked perfect. That did look perfect. Nothing is standing out to me. And I, I just feel like as far as CG looking good or bad, like it just all looks good to me. And it just makes me feel like there's something to do with like the budget of season one. It was taken up by like creating the volume and now they have the volume. So I think that they could probably afford if they have a similar budget, more time, more people, yeah. just better CGI in general. They've got their workflow refined and they're just killing it now. Yeah. We talked about a bunch of our favorite moments already. I don't want to rehash them too much, but I love going back to the this is the way moment. Bo-Katan says it twice. 
The first mm-hmm. one, she says it kind of like in a sarcastic, passive-aggressive kind of way. Yeah. Which I love. Like, this is the way. Oh, it's the way, right? <laughs> but she says it in, in a way that's like, I guess passive-aggressive is maybe the best way to say it. But like, this is all there is to it. This is how it's going to go down. Mm-hmm. You know, also like legitimately appealing to his belief system. I just thought it was really cool. And I, I watched an interview with, with Katie talking about how many takes they did of that line. All different deliveries. And she hadn't actually seen the episode yet when she did the interview. But so I, I don't know if they made the choice after the fact, like, okay, do it a bunch of different kinds of ways yeah. and, and we'll decide like what the character really means hereafter. But the way it was delivered was perfect to me. Speaking of that interview and just in general, social media, it really is, there's something about her in particular, we'll put in the show notes, but she did a, an interview with ET online and she's a massive Star Wars fan. Yeah. So it's, it's really like one of us just getting to, to be in Star Wars. She's such mm-hmm. a massive fan. And they're so secretive about things like Star Wars, Filoni, Favreau. They're, they're so secretive about the process and stuff that it's not like she saw the episode before it came out Friday. Right. You know, she filmed it and was like, all right, see you guys later. Can't wait to watch it. <laughs> so she experienced it with us. Yeah. And now she, if you follow her on, on Twitter and social media and stuff, you just see how ecstatic and just through the roof she is. I mean, it, it's such a good feeling. I mean, I think it's at this point, you know, Star Wars permeated pop culture and life for over four decades. You're going to get super fans that are actors. It's such a cool thing, though, when you get someone like this, like the Giancarlo, same thing. Like he's a little less nerdy, but he's equally as stoked as Katie was. And, yeah. and same thing with Pedro Pascal. Like these people just really, I think, appreciate and are having fun with with Star Wars, which is a great feeling. She talks about having done the Clone Wars for so long and Rebels and everything. She, you know, it's been over 10 years that she's been involved, but still when she got the call to come in and, you know, even read for the role in live action, she was completely blown away. Never really expected it. I I can't imagine she would feel ripped off if she hadn't gotten it. You know what I mean? Just very humble about the whole thing. And she said when she got into costume and looked in the mirror the first time, she just started crying. Yeah, It, It was finally happening. And, to see that character come to life and see herself, but also see the character. I had honestly, I'd never seen a single interview with her or anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I had ever seen her picture other than rumors about casting. And I was just instantly like, so happy for her. Like, yeah. nice to meet you. Holy shit. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was really, really cool. All right. Should we get on to medals or we don't talk some more about some stuff? Uh, there, there were just, uh, you know, I think my favorite scenes and quotes will be covered in the medal ceremony, but there were just cute things. Like, I really feel like maybe to uh, wrap up the story of the child and the eggs, we got to see him watch one of the eggs hatch and a little tadpole came out. And then all of a sudden he was having fun with a little tadpole that was swimming around in a bowl. So I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, you got to see him think that those things, the eggs were just food, but then you got to see like the process of life and he was super stoked. And it was really like a weird, sad moment when Din picked him up to take him away from like the bowl of yeah. that had the tadpole in it. And he was like grasping, like he wanted to play. And then there was also another moment where they walked out the door out of the frog people's little house there. And he's like, it's almost like he, they were communicating. Din responded like the child asked him if we could keep him as a pet. Yeah. Keep the tadpole as a pet. And he's like, I have enough pets. So maybe there's, there's, they're learning to communicate a little bit better. It was a great moment that felt like when a meat eater hangs out with a cow and then turns vegan. Yeah. It made me happy. <laughs> also, social media could be the worst thing in the world and, and really tips in that 
that scale. But when it's good and you just have this like positive community of people, you know, loving Star Wars and and being in such like a joyous mood that the littlest things make people happy. So many people have been happy that uh, Mon Calamari was wearing a cable knit sweater. (laughs) Yeah, total Cosby look. It's just such a funny thing. Like, I didn't notice that, honestly, but some people did. And now I'm just like, yeah, it's hilarious. That's just a fisherman's cable knit sweater. All of them had sweaters on. It was amazing. (laughs) All right, let's hand out medals. Favorite scenes, favorite quotes. Like I said, we, as always, went to the patrons. We polled them, and they gave us answers. If you want to vote on favorite scenes, favorite quotes, and so on, and all kinds of other stuff, of course, go to patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod and become a patron. Get involved. Help us out and have fun. Favorite scenes. Five nominations. First, the Frog Lady and Frogman family reunion. Number two. Bo-Katan and the Night Owl Mandalorians come to rescue Din and the child from the Quarren. Number three, Din teams up with the Night Owl Mandalorians to attack the Imperial Weapons Freighter. Number four, the Moff Gideon call with the Imperial Captain on the ship. And number five, Bo-Katan informing Din Djarin on the whereabouts of Jedi Ahsoka Tano. And the winner, with 51% of the vote, as it should be, Bo-Katan informing Din Djarin on the whereabouts of Jedi Ahsoka Tano. Hell yeah. Second place, a mere 28%. That's Bo-Katan and the other Mandalorians rescuing Din and the child from the Quarren. Still great, but man, to me nothing hangs with just the, the mention of Ahsoka. Holy shit. I mean, do you agree? I mean... Literally, I'm thinking how ridiculous it is that <laughs> entire fan base is excited at her saying someone's name. <laughs> but it is awesome. It really yeah. is awesome. If you ask me what the only thing that could overshadow Bo-Katan being in here is just Ahsoka being there. And yeah. they're referencing that. So phew, cannot wait. All right. Favorite quotes. We have five as well. First, from Din Djarin. There is only one way, the way of the Mandalore. Next, from Bo-Katan. He didn't kill your brother. I did. Third, another one from Bo-Katan. Put some tea on. We'll be up in a minute. <laughs> so good. So good. What a badass. Number four, Moff Gideon. Long live the Empire. And number five, of course... Bo-Katan to Mando. Take the foundling to the city of Kaladin on the forest planet of Corvus. There you will find Ahsoka Tano. Tell her you were sent by Bo-Katan. And the winner with 51% of the vote again, Bo-Katan revealing Ahsoka Tano. Those words, man. I really can't wait. It's unreal. A cartoon character, again. There's just so much weight. Like, you know, we've really not talked about it, and I'm sure we will, but I'm going to talk about it now, actually. There's just so much weight of Ahsoka. Like, Ahsoka is Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. Yeah. You know? And in this time period, right now, Luke Skywalker just saved the galaxy. Yep. There's there's just so much explaining to do right now, because we're going to get Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. Darth Vader has been dead for how many years now and ahsoka must know at this point that luke skywalker the son of anakin skywalker exists yeah this stuff needs to be explained not everything in star wars needs to be explained and we all need to like understand that this needs to be explained yeah is ahsoka like turned off like luke on octo did she turn off her force sensitivity or something i don't know something needs to happen there 
because you want to have a full fan base cry, have Ahsoka talk about Anakin Skywalker, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. That's going to be a special moment if that, when that happens, I should say. I could say so many words and I feel like I should just, I should just wait. <laughs> and I'll mention that second place for quotes is a three-way tie each <laughs> with 13%. It doesn't matter. I don't need to read any of them. It was a landslide. <laughs> so like we said, we are so pumped for the next few weeks. Figuring next week is going to be like Nick said, kind of getting shit together, maybe a little adventure of the week, but most likely we're going to get Ahsoka in chapter 13, written and directed by Dave Filoni. Makes a lot of sense. And I'm going to cry. I'm going <laughs> to be a 40 year old man crying in front of my iPad. If the world was safe, I would legitimate have like a midnight viewing party, like an in-person viewing party. <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap it up with a quote of the week, courtesy of Nick this time, because Ryan, like I said, is he's no longer with us. He's deceased. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to laugh. Well, we didn't kill him. I mean, <laughs> it's not our fault that falling off a cliff is funny. We, fr- we froze him. Let's go with we froze him in carbonite. <laughs> and in 30 years, he's going to look way younger than us. Yep, just like Luke Wilson and Idiocracy. <laughs> what do you got here, Nick? All right, quote of the week. I never decide if an idea is good or bad until I try it. So much of what gets in the way of things is thinking that we know. And the more that we can remove any baggage we're carrying with us and just be in the moment, use our ears and pay attention to what's happening and just listen to the inner voice that directs us, the better. That's from world-renowned record producer Rick Rubin. That's a hell of a quote, man. Yeah. Let go of your ego. You don't always know what's right, you know? I feel like that applies on both sides of the fan-artist line in anything, but I think it's especially poignant, and I'm so stoked that you picked this quote, because Star Wars needs this kind of perspective so much. Mm -hmm. Let go of your conscious self. Yeah. And act on instinct. Yeah, I mean, it's so much of life is, you know... I mean, I, I definitely think about writing songs and stuff like that. And sometimes there's too much talking and not enough playing, you know, when we're doing things. Like maybe we got to play a part for an hour before we get somewhere instead of just being like, "Mm, nah, I don't don't think that'll work. It's like, well, maybe something better even works if we just play, you know? So that that definitely resonated with me a lot. And uh, coming from a record producer who literally broke ground you know he he had uh beastie boys run dmc chili peppers system of a down did some rage it's all these bands that literally changed the world because they were different and that is the ultimate way to achieve success and to move the needle is to do something different and give people something that they didn't even know that they needed which is really really excellent so i really like that quote love that all right let's wrap it up if you are looking for the podcast on social media you can find us at Thank the Maker Pod on Instagram, at Thank the Maker One on Twitter. My personals are all at Adam the Skull. My personals, I only have Twitter and Instagram. They're both at Nick Bayside. I'd love to chat with you. Got some people, uh, some dudes hitting me in the DMs, sliding in. <laughs> Slide talking on about in. Star Wars, so it's cool. Ladies are welcome too. Just talking about Star Wars. It's all good. <laughs> Whatever works. And like we said earlier, you can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash thank the maker pod. Submit ideas for content, participate in AMAs, vote on the favorites, the medal ceremony, lots of fun stuff. And like I keep saying, we're going to overhaul Patreon and add some more cool stuff and make it a little simpler, a little more accessible. So check that out. We also need quotes. We come up with quotes, but we would really appreciate from listeners some quotes of the week because we would love to kind of showcase stuff that 
you folks are inspired by. And we can't do that if you don't give them to us, dog. Dogs? Dog peoples? Dog lovers? Dogs? Actual dogs? Canines. It's fine. All right. So send us pictures of your dogs and quotes. And until next time, may the force be with you.